fifth of the streams, the spirit-empowered dimension of the spiritual life. And we talked a little bit about when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, the key words repeated throughout the Gospels to describe them were that he was filled with, full of, and led by the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus, in the Old Testament, people like Joshua, Ezekiel, Micah, and then Zechariah and Elizabeth were said to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but for them, it was temporary. The Spirit was given to accomplish a particular purpose. With Jesus, the Spirit came to stay. And then before he ascended into heaven, Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to his followers. And then Pentecost came in Acts chapter 2, and the Spirit was poured out in fulfillment of that. And from then on, in the book of Acts, we have description of believers being filled with, full of, and led by the Spirit. And then as the Apostle Paul traveled and taught and established new churches, and then he'd write letters of instruction and encouragement to them, one of the central elements of his teaching is that as followers of Christ, our lives are to be described as filled with, full of, and led by the Spirit. God is alive and well and at work, and it's through His Spirit that He calls and equips us to join Him. So when Paul issued the command in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine which leads to debauchery, or as the New Living Translation puts it, for that will ruin your life. Instead, he commands, be filled with the Spirit. And the basic issue he raises there is, what is controlling your life? Is it the things of God or the things of this world, the Spirit or the flesh? In his book, Confronting Jezebel, Steve Sampson writes about a lesson he learned watching the family cat. He writes, One afternoon as I was sitting on our deck, my attention was drawn to our cat. As always, it would spend time in the back of the house stalking birds. I watched the little sparrow run ahead a few feet as our large gray cat stalked it. Suddenly, just when the cat was ready to pounce, The bird seemed to receive a revelation. The bird realized it had two dimensions. It not only could walk, but it could also fly. Instantly, it took off, leaving the earthbound realm where the cat was destined to stay. As it gracefully and confidently flew away, it seemed to be saying, See you later, Mr. Cat. He then goes on to say, Believers also live in a higher dimension. And we have to decide whether we will live in a completely earthbound realm where we are stalked and potentially defeated by the enemy, or if we will live in a higher reality. God has made the realm of living by the power of the Holy Spirit available to all believers, though few ever seem to take advantage of his provision. That's a description of the Spirit-empowered life, learning to live by that higher reality and by that higher power. Where the prayer-centered life is built on loving God and simply resting in His presence. The compassionate life based on issues of justice and loving others in practical ways. The holy life is primarily concerned with developing habits and living in a manner that's consistent with God and His nature. The word-centered life is focused on the written, living, and spoken word of God. The spirit-empowered life is about becoming more aware of and sensitive to the movements and the leadings of God's Spirit in our lives. And so as we continue on this topic, I want to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, which draws a distinction here. It shows a contrast of what it looks like to be controlled by the world versus what it looks like to be controlled by the Spirit. And these two are 
in constant tension in all of our lives as we have to continue to decide whether we're going to follow the flesh or the spirit. So Paul writes, So I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, faction and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, in contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things as these, there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. The key terms in this passage are to walk by, be led by, be guided by, and to live by the Spirit. The word used for walk here refers to our daily conduct. It's not so much our particular actions or behaviors. It's our whole life's orientation that it's talking about. What is it that gives us our sense of direction and our values? It's like when we refer to someone's walk of life. We're talking and saying something about them, about their job, their education, their social standing, their values. So Paul is saying our walk of life is to be understood and defined by the Spirit, not the flesh. To walk is the main verb of this passage, describing how we are to live, not just aware of the Spirit's existence, but with our lives lived under His direction and dependence on Him for our being. It's like those infusers that are becoming so popular now. You cut up fruit, you put it in the diffuser, and it sits in water for a time, and the flavor of the various fruits then mix together and they infuse. They permeate the water so that you cannot separate them. The Spirit-empowered life is one that seeks to be infused by the Spirit, to make it so much a part of reality for our lives that it cannot be separated. His presence and His work infuse what we do and how we see the world and how we live. Just as being filled was a command in Ephesians 5, not a suggestion, this too is a command here to walk by the Spirit. How we are are living really does reveal what controls us, which is where this contrast in the passage comes into play. A choice between the acts of the flesh that are described in verses 19 through 21, a life controlled by desire and temptation, versus a life controlled by the Spirit in verses 22 and 23, as evidenced by the fruit. We're not only to walk by the Spirit, though. Verse 17 says we are to be led by the Spirit. The word for led means you attach yourself to someone or something. It's like going on vacation and joining a tour group. You've attached yourself to the guide who then is the one responsible for leading you in the places you need to go. Paul says the Spirit is to be, for us, a guide to lead us in life. So the life of faith becomes not one just of obeying laws, but of following the Spirit's leading. Verse 25 says we are... To be lived by the Spirit, the word used here means literally he becomes the source of life for us, our vitality. And then he says we are to keep in step with the Spirit. That was a military term used to describe soldiers in marching order, keeping in step with one another. Keep 
life tuned to his leading, not going off in your own direction. Now, in Ephesians 5, the command to be filled with the Spirit was also in a passive tense. It means that something God does for us and to us and in us. We don't fill ourselves, rather God fills us. Here, the verbs walk by, live by, and keep in step with the Spirit are the present active tense, which means we don't sit passively by waiting for God to do something. Instead, they're to show us responding, taking action, what we are to do in the present in response to the Spirit. What it means in practical terms is learning to distinguish the Spirit's voice from all the noise we hear around us. To begin to hear that inner nudging, telling us what's right and which way to go, and to block out or identify those voices which are contrary to the ways of God. A Spirit-empowered life is not to be a passive one, but one actively spent in pursuing God, walking in step with Him in the here and now, Because the filling really comes as a result of the walking in the Spirit. God is speaking. Are you listening? He is a work. Are you joining Him? Three times in the book of Hebrews, the the writer warns us, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. If you do, it gets harder to hear. Which is why we're warned in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Do not quench the Spirit. And then Paul says in verse 20 of 1 Thessalonians 5, how that's done when he says, Do not treat his prophecies or his words with contempt. Don't ignore them or treat God's word as if it doesn't matter or if it's a matter of opinion or choice. What type of person you're becoming is determined by what you are doing here and now. What's controlling your life, the spirit or the world? I do find it regrettable that talk of the spirit-filled life has been largely ignored and even at times rejected by many in the evangelical world. That's the stuff that Pentecostals and Charismatics talk about. But it's a part of our heritage also, part of our inheritance as God's children. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.22, 2 Corinthians 5.5, Ephesians 1.14, the Spirit is a deposit God has given us to guarantee what's to come. Or as I quoted last week from N.T. Wright, the modern Greek would translate it, he is our engagement ring from God of what we have to look forward to. You don't have to ask for him. You don't have to seek some kind of second blessing because he's present. All of us are commanded to be filled controlled by the Spirit. All of us are commanded to walk in step with the Spirit. Paul goes even further in Romans 8 when he wrote that if you do not have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. You're not God's child. The entire passage in Romans 8 is really worth reading because it too provides this contrast when it says, do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed or controlled by the flesh is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind controlled by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. But those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, because they're believers, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. And indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you. For if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And he goes on and on talking about life in the Spirit. It's the Spirit that testifies we are God's children. And of course, when we talk about the Spirit, you cannot ignore the two major components of His works. When we talk about it, we talk about the gifts or the, and the fruit. They're essential to it. But the difference between the two is the fruit 
between the fruit and the gifts lies in their nature and their purpose. It's a difference between being and doing. The fruit is all about who you are. You are loving, you are kind, you are patient. The gifts are about what you do, how you serve. The fruit is what makes our lives a reflection of Jesus. The gifts are how Jesus plugs you in to what he wants to do in the world. The fruit describes what kind of person you are to be. You are to be joyful. You are to be patient with others. You are to be gentle. On the other hand, the gifts are what you are to do as a part of Christ's bodies, such as teachings or encouraging or providing leadership or service. Passages like 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, it makes it very clear that every believer not just receives the Spirit, but through the Spirit has gifts that God has given to serve, not for our own edification, but for the building up of others. And to deny those gifts, to refuse to use what God has given you, is quenching the Spirit's working. In Scripture, gifts are never an indication of our maturity or our spiritual formation, but the fruit is. Gifts are something we receive. Fruit is something that grows naturally out of being connected to the source. Fruit is something God produces in every believer as we walk with Christ. It's something we all share in common. We show our connection with the body as we are to love and have joy. And you cannot excuse yourself by saying, well, that's just not my strength or my gift. We are all called to bear fruit in the Spirit. We are all called to love, to be compassionate, be patient. On the other hand, gifts reflect our diversity, how we are to complement and support one another as we all have different strengths, different gifts according to the Spirit's moving. An emphasis on both fruit and gifts in the Spirit is a part of the Spirit-filled tradition. It's the Spirit-empowered stream after all, that reminds us that God is not confined to a book that we read or we study. That salvation isn't just about me and my work. It's a spirit-empowered tradition that makes me aware that God is at work in the world around me. That God is alive. That God is active. He's doing stuff. And it helps my faith become alive and active also. Of course, there's much more to the Spirit than just its gifts and its fruit. Last week, I quoted Samuel Chaddock, a British leader from years gone by, who referred to all the ways the Spirit is referred to in the Bible. Not just as the Holy Spirit. He's much more than that. These are all the ways the Scripture refers to the Spirit. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of truth truth, the spirit of witness, the spirit of conviction, the spirit of power, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of light, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of help, the spirit of freedom, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, the spirit of promise, the spirit of love, the spirit of meekness, the spirit of a sound mind, the spirit of grace, the spirit of glory, and the spirit of prophecy. That's the working of the spirit, much more than gifts and fruit. These are the things the Spirit does in the world and in our lives around us. In the midst of it all, we cannot, though, lose sight of the fact that both the fruit and the gifts are not the primary work of the Spirit. Witness and ministry is. Jesus told his followers in Acts 1, Wait for the gift that I promised you, the Holy Spirit, and then you will receive power to be my witnesses, to go and share with others, to be a witness to others. And the book of Acts is a record of how the Holy Spirit empowered God's people to do that. And it's how he empowers us to do it as well. You know, as I've tried to do 
with each of the streams to point out how they are not independent, but they are interdependent. They need each other for balance and strength, but sometimes that's forgotten. And in its place, you can get distrust and tension between various streams. That's why I chose to look specifically at the Spirit right after we looked at the Word to make that point, because these two probably, more than any others in recent years, have been at odds with each other in much of the Christian world and those who are drawn to them. It's kind of like the story of the Baptist preacher and his wife that decided they needed a dog. I told a cat story earlier, and I'll tell a dog story now. Ever mindful of a congregation that they were in and its prejudice, they knew that whatever dog they got had to be a Baptist dog. So they went and they visited an expensive kennel and explained their needs to the breeder, who after hearing their needs, their concerns, he assured them he had the perfect dog for them. So he went, he brought out the dog, the dog came, and the breeder said, fetch the Bible. The dog immediately ran over to the bookshelf, looked through all the books, found the Bible, grabbed it, and brought it back to the breeder. The breeder then said, fine, Psalm 23. Without a hesitation, showing tremendous dexterity with his paws, the dog leafed through the Bible, found the 23rd Psalm, and pointed at it with his paw. The preacher and his wife were impressed, so they got the dog and they took it home. That night, they had their Bible study in their home with a group of church members. He and his wife began to show off their new dog by having him locate several Bible verses, and several of the members were amazed by what he was able to do. Finally, one man spoke up and asked, Well, he can do all those tricks, but can he do any normal tricks? Well, let's see, the preacher said. Pointing his finger at the dog, he commanded, Heal! The dog immediately jumped up on a chair, placed one paw on the preacher's head, and began to howl. And the (laughs) preacher's wife turned to his wife and said, Good grief, we bought a Pentecostal dog. (laughs) Now, for me, I like that story because I was saved in a Pentecostal church, and I pastored in Baptist churches for 30 years. And I've heard the arguments to the Pentecostal churches, Baptists are dead because we don't have the emotions that they like to show. And for many Baptists, they're off base and emotional. But the two need each other. The Word and the Spirit actually complement each other and go together because our faith needs to be built on the Word of God, but the Word without the Spirit is dead. Scripture says. That's the problem Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day. They knew their scriptures, but there was no life in them. It was just rules taught by men, he said. The word needs the spirit to keep it alive and active and in touch with what God is doing. On the other hand, the spirit needs the word to keep it grounded and balanced. So it's not just how I feel or what I think. After all, what do you say when someone says, well, God told me or God showed me or God led me? How do you know it was God? and not your own desires. People do and say things all the time in the name of God. It's the word that helps us know if it's really from him. So the two need each other. Just as scripture says, you and I need each other as well if we are to be healthy and whole as God made us one and yet he made us diverse. He makes the church a body of parts to work together, not a collection of individuals doing their own thing. Thank you that we are not left on our own to discover things by ourselves, but your spirit is in us. He's with us. He guides us. He speaks if we will but listen, Lord. Help us to learn to be sensitive to his moving. And to do so in a way that is consistent with who you are and how you've revealed yourself in your word. We thank you, God, for the life we share in Christ. May you use us, we pray, to share that with others as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear my humble.